0: Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing Designer This or Designer That? Even Designer Furniture. On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the Designer Prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or DesignerLooks.com.
1: When it comes to LASIK, Dr. Boutros and the Eye Center have led the way for the past 25 years. Today, this tradition continues by being one of the few practices in the country to offer you Eye 2.0, using the same technology as the NASA James Webb Telescope. And in the hands of an elite surgeon like Dr. Boutros, more patients are seeing 2020 or better after LASIK. Right now, enjoy 20% off LASIK with iDesign. Go to theicenter.com or call 888 844 2020. Some restrictions apply.
2: Ready to launch a new career or not sure what to do after graduation? Rumpke is hiring for CDL driving trainees. We pay you to get your CDL license while working for us. Driver trainees receive $18 an hour, great benefits, and Rumpke will pay your CDL costs. Once you're a CDL driver, you can earn $1,000 to $1,300 a week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in your first year. Apply today and launch a lucrative career at Rumpke. Apply now at rumpkecareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply.
3: following program is intended for immature audiences only
2: don't think just
3: listen from coast to coast border to border and around the world you're going online with me.
1: day everyone yours truly William Eric Alexander all my friends call me Bill and you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV channel 77 we're streaming live tonight at onlinewithbillalexander.com so if you're, you're catching the audio feed you can also watch the video feed as we stream live this evening well earlier today I was on Facebook and one of my uh, one of the, friends of the program. Uh, syndicated cartoonist Joe Woes posted an article about this movie that we're going to talk about tonight. And I thought it was an unusual title for a movie, but I figured, let's go figure out what it is. And the movie is called The Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head. And if you remember the stories about Walt Disney, it was always rumored that he had his head frozen because if they ever found a cure for what he died of they would be able to bring him back again but on the other end of the phone line tonight we have uh benjamin lancaster ben how you doing tonight i'm
3: doing fantastic
1: how are you doing doing real good and you're the writer and director of this how do i want to say unique film that uh recently uh uh, was released at a few film festivals at the Santa Cruz Film Festival in October and you've been in quite a few mm-hmm. since then and tomorrow night you have your big national release on YouTube at 8:30 and the link is on my uh on my webpage so if you want to check that out you're more than welcome to do that so Ben what what got you into cryogenics and f- Walt Disney's Frozen Head <laughs>
3: Well, uh, I can't say uh, cryogenics is ever the draw. Okay. Um, I was always a Disney fan. I was always a Parks fan. Um, and so the concept of um, picking up the story, as it were, and making a film about the, uh, the continuation of Walt Disney um, and, and using him as a character in it became such a, an appealing concept to me that I just uh, I knew as soon as I came up with this idea that I had to move forward and actually make something out of it.
1: And 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 again, you 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 did this, and I I also think the title's a little bit mis, a misnomer too because it says the further adventures of, and I'm going. Was there a previous movie, or is this the first one?
3: No, no, there was there was no previous movie. <laughs> further, sort of response, or you know, implies the uh, the adventures he had as a full you know person. Okay, and now it's uh, <laughs> the the adventures continuing. He's now that he's a a, a frozen head.
1: So. The idea of doing this, uh, from what I read earlier, this was in production for about four years, correct?
3: Yes, yes. Um, I think 2000, uh, uh, gosh, I can't even remember that far back. Uh, excuse me, 2014, I believe we were, uh, we were in the initial stages of production. So okay. it's, it's really been a long time coming at this point.
1: And can you give a little bit of your background to my audience, uh, of how you got into movie making?
3: Well, um, I've made a number of um, independent films. Uh, this is by far the largest one. Um, and I was in film school at the time at the University of Central Florida and working on my thesis project, which was going to be something else. Um, and it, this idea really just struck me. I was goofing her off, off with some other uh, filmmakers and the title came first. And we just knew, me. I talked about it with my wife later and she told me like, no, this is you have to make throw out all the other ideas um so it it was uh something i had been through the process of really micro budget filmmaking before but um this was a brand new challenge obviously shooting something guerrilla style um and then having this very traditional kind of production schedule on top of that because while the film takes place you know has fil- things shot in the uh, magic Kingdom. Uh, it also has a large portion that takes place in you know other locations, some of which are subbing for places that we couldn't get access to.
1: Now, you made, made a comment of gorilla. Now explain to explain to the audience what that means gorilla filming.
3: Well, in this case, it means uh, filming somewhere where we have do not technically have the permission uh, to be filming. Um, in this case, the the Magic Kingdom, uh, where uh, they would probably frown on us uh, trying to shoot a feature film in there. Um, and so we are doing it clandestinely. We are doing it with <laughs> the smallest cameras that will give us an image quality we find acceptable. Um, and we are doing it with lots of rehearsal time beforehand and knowing exactly the shots we need and what we need to make this movie come together, um, as opposed to our traditional production. So we had about four days of uh, guerrilla filmmaking with a very small skeleton crew and then a very traditional production. Um, one day we had 50 people on set. So it was a much larger, um, larger deal corralling that kind of thing. And it goes a lot slower. On the other hand, uh, guerrilla filmmaking, we just control a lot less. Right. Um, there's no uh, reshooting for lighting, that sort of thing.
1: So you're, you're filming on their property. And as it says in the beginning of the trailer. They don't know anything about this. You don't have their approval from either the Disney parks or the family. They have to know about it now. Did anybody I, I say anything to you? they
3: know about it now? Uh, we have not heard anything and we would like to keep it that way.
1: <laughs> so how many film festivals did you have this entered in? Uh,
3: entered uh, quite a few. The, the ones we had selected, uh, I don't have the exact number off the top of okay. my head. Uh, but... Uh, Quite a few, and uh, really all around the world. We played once in France, uh, once in Australia, um, and, uh, you know, a bunch in the U.S. Uh, So we were very thrilled with all the ones that we were in. Um, And uh, there's one in my hometown of St. Louis coming up here at the end of the month as well.
1: Oh, okay. So give the audience a little bit of an understanding of what the plot of the movie is.
3: So the premise of the film works off the theory that Walt had himself cryogenically frozen. I don't know where the concept that he first severed his head and then just had the head cryogenically frozen (laughs) came from, but that seems to be one variation of the variation we went with. Um, but in the film, uh, every year they defaw him for 72 hours to get his advice on how to run the company. And then they put him back under and leave him for, uh, for the next year. And, um, this has gone on, presumably, for his entire uh, duration of, uh, of you know, uh, post-existence, I suppose. Uh, and he has never been allowed up to see Disney World. Disney World opened after he passed, and uh, he's kept under uh, the Utilidors, which do actually exist. In our version, they're a little deeper and a little more mysterious okay. than in reality, but they do actually exist under the Magic Kingdom, large utility tunnels. Um, and... Uh, He's he's kept down there, but he's never been allowed up to see his park. And so, uh, happenstance, uh, by happenstance, uh, an employee wanders down, um, goes into the wrong room, and discovers Walt. And Walt convinces that employee to take him up and show him the park.
1: And again, it, it, from what I saw in the trailer, it's very it's it, it's very interesting. And the way the genre is listed as a comedy, from what I saw. And, it's
3: definitely a comedy in the style of the 1960s okay. live-action comedies that were made by the Disney company.
1: Because the idea of having a a severed head as talking to you goes back to horror films in the 40s and 50s. The one I'm thinking of is The Brain That Would Never Die. Um, the idea of having someone there talk to you about that, but again, you put a humorous spin on it, and uh, again, it's just quite interesting. And as you just said, it is... Uh, in the vein of those 1960s um, program, like the F- Fifth Avenue Irregulars, the um, the absent-minded professor, and all those types of films, this looks like that in a lot of ways.
3: And um, I, I would say that uh, I don't know if you've seen the film Blackbeard's Ghost. Yes, I um, have. Fred McMurray. Yes. yes. Uh, so. It's the same sort of premise. He, you know, you got a kind of normal guy who has this friend who no one else can sort of see or know about, and, you know, he's got to sort of chaperone, chaperone him around for the time being. So it's very much based on that kind of comedy style, the sort of family zany comedy.
1: So did you grow up on these films? Because I can't imagine you being that old.
3: Uh, I am I am not old enough to have seen them in their initial releases, but I am very much the VHS uh blockbuster generation
1: as much as i hate to say it i was old enough to see them in the theaters. so <laughs> 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 uh, no, except, I,
3: I was i was growing up in the era where we had the walt disney classics on vhs right and um those vhs's had holes burned into them by the time <laughs> uh we had finished our childhood and the uh, sad thing of um, it
1: is a lot of those movies that you've mentioned they never re-released on dvd
3: yeah, some of them, some of them have never gotten the full, at least the high quality treatment uh, that they really deserve.
1: Which this is totally off the subject. Rumor is Disney's going to be opening the vault of everything this coming year and actually putting their own streaming service online. So maybe we'll be able to see those those great comedy classics of back then this coming this coming fall or and and into next year. Oh, be-
3: absolutely! I have very high hopes. Um, we'll see
1: what happens. Yeah, so let's talk about the characters in your your film and the people that are portraying them. So you have a you have a voice that a lot of people would recognize, maybe not recognize the face, but Rob Snyder, who was actually the Dream Finder, um, back in the uh, early days of Disney World.
3: Yes, yes, he started uh, at. With the company earlier at Disneyland, actually, uh-huh. he took over at the Golden Horseshoe. And then they transitioned him to create the role of the Dreamfinder in the parks, the walk around character for Epcot Center when it opened in 1982.
1: And I, I was thinking back because I was there that first year that Epcot opened, and I was much younger than I am now. And I'm trying to remember, and I think, going, I do. And I also remember Figment, too. And I'm going, mm-hmm. I bet yeah, I have a photograph somewhere, which I'm going to have to dig through my stuff this weekend to see if I do, because, uh, again, that's one of those voices that you do remember and one of those characters. And Ron has done a lot with Disney. And I guess he recently wrote a book, correct?
3: That's right. Um, from Dreamer to Dream Finder, I believe, uh, available on Amazon.
1: Okay. So how did you get in touch with him to be Walt?
3: I actually met Ron at a screening for another documentary. Um, and uh, before the screening, they showed the teaser for our trailer, which we had edited together fa- fairly quickly. Okay, um, And at that point, we did not have Walt cast. Um, we had shot the entirety of the film without Walt. And um, then we were hoping on the strength of the film, we could go out and get somebody to, to play the character, and it was going to be sort of a drop-in process. Um, and so uh, I met Ron at that event, and then... Um, several months later, uh, we were talking with our production team and, uh, you know, we had gotten, hadn't really found the right person yet. We had had a few interviews, we had had a few discussions, but we really hadn't gotten to the point where we were happy with who we had. And I said, you know, um, why don't we reach out to to Ron? Like he probably has no memory of me whatsoever, but I met him once at this fan event. And I think, uh, I think I can find his email address through a friend of a friend and sure enough I could. And so, uh, um, our producer just sent him an email one night saying, "You know, would this be uh, a project you're interested in?" Um, and uh, he tells the story at this point better than I could, but uh, he claims that he spent his, he he could not go to sleep that night. Uh, we sent, I think the email went out pretty late. Uh-huh. Uh, he sat up reading the script and just laughing to himself the entire evening. Um, and so we were absolutely thrilled to have him on board after that.
1: So how hard was it to shoot without having, especially for your main character, how hard was it to, to, for him to interact with something that wasn't there, let alone a person who hasn't even been casted for the role yet?
3: Well, um, yeah, I mean, we had that on both ends too, because we had, uh, the shooting the thing or shooting the film with, um. I would actually say uh, Daniel, the the person who plays Peter, the cast member who walks walks around, had a harder time with it because he was listening to our script supervisor reading in a monotone voice right off camera. Okay. Um, Ron at least got the full experience of the the track. Right. He can could... um, with uh, with someone acting against him. So uh, it was it was all on a soundstage, and we realized very early on that moving Ron was actually quicker than moving the camera. So we had him on a wheeled, chair, um, you know, like a, like an office chair, and right. we would turn the office chair to the exact angle we needed as calculated by our notes and that sort of thing. And um, for moving shots, we had people moving the office chair to get the right angle. Um, so it was it was a very uh, inventive process, but ultimately we were very happy with the results we got. I didn't know if it would work. Um, and, uh, I, you know, all, all praise be to our special effects uh, supervisor who who took what we had and made it work every single time.
1: And you, and you must have had a really skilled editing team to be able to put that together.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Our, our editor worked hours and hours just getting everything synced up um, and then handed off the edited footage to our visual effects person who then did the process of getting this, you know, at that point it was just a close-up of Ron superimposed over the rest of the footage. And then he took those two layers and synced them up and, and put the head in the jar, essentially.
1: <laughs> so, an idea. How much was your budget for this film?
3: Um, we we raised over sixteen thousand dollars on Kickstarter between mm-hmm. the two Kickstarters, and then we had uh, some additional investment. Um, but it really it, it wasn't well in excess of that at that point. Um, so it was it was made on the coffee budget of a real movie. I like to say.
1: And again, the trailer, I haven't seen the film, which I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. Um, just the trailer itself looks like you spent more on that. But the big question is, how in the heck did you film in Disney World without getting caught? Uh,
3: it was it was primarily pre-planning. We okay. had a, a incredibly regimented document that we created beforehand detailing every single shot we needed when we were getting them and then three contingency plans for each shot in case we got too much attention. Okay. Um, and so it was at, at the point that we stepped into the park, we had been on two scouting missions with everybody through there. We knew exactly where we were going. We had mapped it out in the sound stage, um, you know, taped off our areas. Um, so we knew what we, we knew what we were getting at that point. And we weren't walking into this blind and we weren't walking into it with any sort of inventiveness. We were walking into it to get what we needed. And, um, you know that was uh, that's what we did
1: so how many days were you at the park
3: um, I, I think it was uh, three or four days on prop yeah four days on property um, shooting I think three of those were in, actually in the magic Kingdom
1: okay and then um, the the whole thing on the, stu- the sound stage how many days was that
3: oh as, as far as rehearsal on sound yes yeah. I, I want to say we did four days on, on sound stage as well. So, so it was as much time blocking it out as it was actually
1: shooting So it. overall, how much time did it take to actually shoot the
2: movie?
3: Well, after, so so our shooting order was we did the, the four days of blocking, the four days of shooting in the park, and then we had to raise money for the two weeks of um, traditional production that we still had to do. Okay. Um, so, so we had uh, just traditional production for which we actually got permits, for which we actually got permission, for which we actually built sets, and uh, you know all of those wonderful things that go along with making the film. Um, so we had uh, two weeks of that, an additional week of pickups, um, and then uh, a few little things here and there that we had to get. Um, there's a a couple of additional shots that got added very last minute. Okay. Um, and uh, and then the rest of the time has been in uh, in post production, uh, sound, color correction, and visual effects, and and that's taken. A lot longer than we anticipated, but we are so glad that it's uh, done and very close to being out now.
1: Because that was what I was trying to figure. Now, the other thing I have a question for you is, okay, so you go in the park, you have all this equipment. How do you get through security without anybody questioning you?
3: Um, First of all, uh, the camera equipment, we took out of its very professional and industrial and uh, nice bags. Okay. And we put them in uh, $10 camera bags that we got from Walmart <laughs> and we divvied them up among our, all the people who were going in. So everyone was carrying, you know, a few camera batteries and one lens or
1: something right. along
3: those lines. And, um, you know, if, if the security guard had looked at them very closely and known what a camera lens that costs $2,000 looks like, they might've, uh, um, uh, they might've paid a little more attention, but, uh, luckily there is, uh, there's just a level of ignorance and, you know, it's it's hard to tell the consumer lens from the professional lens. And so uh, I think we just got through that way. And there's a lot of photo enthusiasts who go to the parks anyway. So, right. Uh, nothing we were, nothing we were bringing in as far as equipment wise was that far out of the order of magnitude of um, some of the, the really um, high end people who are bringing in, uh, you know, stuff to take photos.
1: So, so- so talking about the cameras, so the microphones on those had to be extremely good, or did you have a boom mic operator that was walking around with you?
3: We replaced all of the audio in the parks. Oh, uh, we recorded just off the straight camera mic, and then everything was looped in post production. Okay, the parks.
1: okay. Uh, so
3: if you if you see the scenes in the parks, it's one hundred percent built from the, the scratch.
1: Oh, that's um, impressive. And we,
3: and we we actually had to do that because. Uh, the background music in the parks would have not allowed us to get any musical sound anyway, mm-hmm. even if we had done body mics or something along those right. lines. Right.
1: Because that, that, I was thinking about that, and, and when filming that that way on the parks without them knowing about it, I'm going, to get the sound quality that you got, you would have had to have one heck of a sound crew, but now that makes sense because you did everything pretty much in post-production. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that uh, I thought interesting, too, so you're telling me whenever he was in the park with Walt's head and he's carrying mm-hmm. that backpack on his front, the, the duffel bag or whatever that was, there mm-hmm. wasn't anything in there. That was all added in post-production because of the way the bag was made. It looked You were able to actually superimpose it in there. Well,
3: no, most of the time there was water bottles in there.
1: Ah. <laughs> oh, so for weight. For I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah.
3: Um that was that was the most common thing in there at the time. Um there was not actually uh any sort of mechanism or any anything um so once you open it up there's a just a black flap inside that could be replaced in post production. Um but most of the time it's it's always kept closed when he's in the park anyway, um just for story reasons as well as for practical ones.
1: <laughs> well, that makes makes a lot of sense. Now I'm now Tomorrow night, when I watch this, it's going to ruin the whole film for me. Now that I know how you did it, <laughs> because just what I saw, I was think I was trying to go through my head, going, "How did they get that stuff in there? How were they able to do that?" And just by what you're telling me now, makes a lot of sense because you had to go in rogue without the uh, without the Disney people finding out about it. So the scenes that were okay. that were underground per se, where were those shot at?
3: Um, we shot at uh, the Fashion Square Mall in Orlando. We got use of all of their um, behind the stores facilities and all of their kind of back corridors, which look remarkably similar to the actual ones in Walt well, Disney World. So we okay. were very fortunate. Um, you know, kind of uh, industrial tunnels look like industrial tunnels, right? So, uh, um, you know, that's an advantage. So um, And then as we, as we sort of descend into uh, more industrial stuff, we also wound up shooting at uh, several places that were very generous in the Orlando area. Um, Orlando Brewery um, is the cryogenics lab. Um, so With the vats, uh, that would make also, sense. Yes, with the giant vats. Exactly. So they were kind enough to let us shoot there for two days.
1: So how do you go into somebody, these, these places, to get permission to film and say, oh, by the way, we're making a movie. Where we're going on to the Disney property, and we're not allowed to do that, but we need you to fill in the rest of the stuff. Do they question you whenever you uh, come into them and say that, or they just open the doors for you and say, great, come on, use our stuff?
3: Uh, some people seem remarkably excited about the concept. Um, <laughs> Pol- yeah, at that point, we also had our Kickstarter out and um, and there, and we had gotten a little, little publicity, not nearly as much as we've gotten since then, okay. after releasing everything, but... But we had been out there a little bit more, so we had things we could point to and say, "This is sort of what the movie's going to be," because that's always the hardest selling point for people uh, to volunteer stuff if they they have an idea of what the, the finished product's going to look like. It's an easier sell. Um, so we were able to do that um, to show people, uh, um, you know, the the a preview of the finished product, and uh, most people were really excited. And, uh, you know, a lot of doors, I think, were thrown open because they thought it was a fun idea.
1: So you wrote the script yourself or did you have a collaborator with you? No, I, I wrote it myself. Um, and there, there's one line that, that shows in the trailer that I think is I think is like any mother would say. I have a delicate question for you about Walt. How does he still draw Mickey Mouse? <laughs> and I think that line is so hilarious. And I'm going, really? She's that ditzy that she can't figure the guy doesn't have arms.
3: <laughs>
1: it, uh, that
3: line was actually drawn from a biography of Walt. Um, and uh, apparently he got that question well into the 40s and 50s and 60s, beyond the point where he was doing any cartooning himself. Okay. Um, but the, the, myth, the myth remained that he was drawing Mickey Mouse the entire time. And, uh, to me, it was, it, you know, it really tickled me the idea that someone would still have that impression, um, even, even seeing him in his current state. Yeah.
1: So with the cat, the cast and everything else, how did you get these people involved in the film? Other, I mean, you talked about Ron, but how did you get the other people right. sold on the idea of doing this?
3: Well, everyone else was, it was an open audition and we, um, we put out the sides and put out the addition calls under a false name for the project. Oh. Um, and uh, by a twist of fate, the false name that we chose was the Florida project, um, which went on to be another independent film that was shot in the Orlando area. Okay. I heard of it with William DeFoe in it. Um, so it, it was uh, obviously, it, obviously we were unaware of that at the time, but uh, we held open auditions and uh, fake sides and everything. So we bring in the cast for the first read and um, sitting in front of on top of their scripts are in NDA a non-disclosure agreement. And OK, we get rid of these them And I, I don't even know what the actors are thinking. NDAs are not standard for this kind of thing. Um, but, you know, we just want to make sure that everybody's you know, no one's going to blow our secret at this point. Right. And then we say, OK, everyone sign the NDAs. You can open the script. And they they turn to open the script and this just group chuckle starts to grow <laughs> as they're realizing what they just got themselves in for as they're looking across the title page um, because uh, um, they thought they were doing this cute little family comedy and right. instead it's, uh, you know, something else. So uh, we were we were thrilled. No one backed out on us after that, okay. um, which we were sort of expecting, maybe one or two would, you know, no, no hard feelings, obviously it wasn't what you signed up for. Um, but no one backed out on us. We had a, um, we had a great cast that stuck with us through the whole thing. Um,
1: I, I like when I found out about it today, now Monday through Friday during the day, I actually teach and I teach a video production course at a local high school. So mm-hmm. when I got the information about this, I went looked at the trailer and I showed a group of students And they just looked at me and going, did he really make this movie? I said, yes, he did. And we started talking about what they would do if they had the opportunity to make a movie about any subject they want. And again, they were very intrigued about the idea of carrying around Walt Disney with them in a a, Uh uh, 24-hour time period. So again, I I think a younger audience would get a big kick out of this too, especially someone my age who who remembers the stories and also the films of the '60s, and a younger audience okay. that is more of a sci-fi type um, audience can really identify with this. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I I just think it I just think it's uh, uh, amazing what you were able to turn around and the the the. Uh, the uh, exposure that you've gotten just over the last few weeks is amazing.
3: Oh yeah, we've just been we've been thrilled with uh, with the response, and I'm hoping that uh, thrilled feeling continues as people actually get to see the film. So,
1: so did you ever look at p- uh, pitching this to one of the online streaming services other than YouTube, say Netflix or Hulu or whatever?
3: Um, we actually started pursuing. Uh, and got into some conversations with some a few distributors. Okay. Um, Netflix, for example, wants to go through a distributor, and several of the other ones do as well. Um, and um, it always got to the point of E you o know, insurance and have you heard anything from the Disney Company? Uh, and at the end of the day, I think it was just too risky for somebody to take on. okay. Um, and uh, it, up until the the plan was for us to sell on uh, on um, Amazon streaming. Um, and we took a lot of stock of, of producers and did some soul searching. And at the end of the day, we came to the conclusion that we want this out there. We want more people to see it. So if we take down all cost barriers and put it on YouTube where everyone can see it, everyone can watch it, everyone can enjoy it, um, versus sort of in a walled garden, um, like Amazon where, yeah, maybe we'll make a few $5 sales or whatever. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's better for us we're all people who are earlier in our careers um as far as the, the producing team um so we're we're looking for the exposure i suppose and so i'd rather have a million people see this movie in uh, for free than than uh, get a thousand who will each pay me five bucks
1: right now another question i have for you because not that i'm familiar with it is since it is it, it is an independent film is it able to meet the category in the academy awards for this coming year or did it miss the window already
3: um gosh uh, i would have to look up the exact uh, qualifications to see uh it but you have to play for two weeks in both la and new york okay i believe in a traditional theater okay so theoretically we could rent out a theater for two weeks in la and rent out a theater for two weeks in new york um Practically, that's, that's probably not going to happen. Well, yeah,
1: cost-effectiveness wouldn't be there. Yeah,
3: uh, yeah. So that's, that's just the reality.
1: Because um, that would, again, like you said, getting that exposure and getting your name out there. Um, have you mm-hmm. have have you done other films other than this one? Uh,
3: yes, this is actually my third feature. Okay. Um, the other two, I will say, were excellent learning experiences and brought me where I am. Oh, okay. um, um, there are there are things I am very proud of, of that are in them. Uh, we'll leave it there.
1: What are the other two films' um, names?
3: Uh, what is finding Xanadu? Um, and it's actually my favorite of the two because I think it has the the cleverest premise. It was a mockumentary about a small town that had a filmmaker from the silent era that okay. went out and just made absolutely horrible films. <laughs> um, but everyone in the small town, because he was their small town hero loved the guy. Of course. Um, and they were, they had found his lost film and they were screening it for the first time. Okay. Um, so uh, that was, that was uh, my favorite of the two, which I think was much better in premise than, than in execution. Um, yeah. At, at times. So that was, that was sort of the issue with that
1: one so are we able to see that one anywhere uh
3: so we're gonna we're gonna keep those other two in the vault for (laughs) the time maybe sometime when when i'm feeling a little more confident of myself okay i'll uh, I'll let people see what really early work looks like okay
1: so in other words you're going to put out the best work first and then you'll worry about the other stuff later on exactly yeah or your kids are going to find it somewhere locked in a vault, and they're going to put it out just to embarrass Dad. <laughs> That's
3: quite possible.
1: <laughs> it's probably more possible than, than you releasing it yourself. So to, possible, so yeah. tomorrow night, 8.30, um, it's mm-hmm. going to 830 be... 8.30 Eastern. 8.30 Eastern, it's going to be streaming live. so Well, not live. It's going to be streaming on YouTube. Now, is it going to be um, on YouTube free of cost? forever or just for a period of time or how are you going to work that out
3: uh, i'll say until the wind changes is okay That a nice weasel word yeah it's a great uh, reason so, word. Uh, for the foreseeable future i'm not promising anything so okay watch it soon um but uh um i'm also not saying i'm pulling it in two days so uh somewhere between two days and forever
1: <laughs> okay so that's giving a so in other words you probably should watch it tomorrow night when it first is first released
3: you you probably should watch it soon. Yeah.
1: So, how hard is it to release something f- through YouTube that way?
3: Oh, I mean, uh, you, you hit the upload button. Oh, it's, so it's that simple. That's oh, so you is, just uh,
1: upload it and then you schedule a time for it to to be released.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah we uh, we set our premiere time and we uh, we let it go and uh, we hope the file got encoded correctly because I can't even preview it on my end before it goes live. So. Oh, uh, that
1: has to be nerve wracking, then.
3: A little bit, yeah. Um, they need some additional features to allow me to do some level of preview of it. But, uh, um, you know, we're, we're hoping for the best, and I think it's going to be terrific.
1: So, any reason why it's being released on
3: 3.14.19? No. It was a Thursday night. It worked out. Other than there it's, was no significance to that date whatsoever.
1: I thought it was because it was Pi Day, 3.14 day, that you would release it. I don't know.
3: Yeah, that that would that would be a great reason. And in retrospect, I think that's absolutely correct.
1: I think you should correct every press release right now and say that's why you did it.
3: Yeah, I mean, but then I would have to release it
1: at 1.59. <laughs> You're, <like> right. A, <laughs> You're right. So I, I didn't, I didn't think that far in advance. Anyway, Ben, I wish you all the luck in the world tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to watching it. And, um, again, I have the trailer on my website, and I also have a link to tomorrow night's premiere. Anything else before I let you go? No, thank you so much for having me. Uh, well, I had a great time talking to you. And next time, if you do anything else in the near future, hey, Please let me know. I'd love to have you back on the program again. I'd love to talk to you again about whatever else you're well doing. Do. And I'd also like to talk to you probably a year from now just to see how well your, uh, your film, The Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head, actually did on YouTube. Okay. I will uh, we'll set a
3: date then.
1: That sounds fantastic. Ben Lancaster, thank you very much and have a great rest of your evening. You too. Thank you very much. Ben Lancaster of uh, *The Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head* being released tomorrow night on YouTube, which should be very interesting. And tomorrow night is March Fourteenth, Twenty Nineteen, and uh, it's going to be released tomorrow evening. As I said, Joe Woe's, um, a friend of the program, the cartoonist from Maze Tunes, had this post on his website today. And I saw it, I watched the trailer, and I just fell in love with it and felt the need that I had to share it with you guys. And Ben was kind enough to actually join us tonight to be able to talk about um, the film coming up. Again, Ben Lancaster, the writer, the director of The Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head. So uh, a very interesting idea for a very interesting movie um, that's tomorrow night. hour and 20 minutes. I'll be able to watch it before we talk to our... um, our uh, young lady tomorrow night about her pet sitting book that she just wrote. She's a pet sitter to the stars. We'll be talking to her tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. So we'll be able to watch the movie and then we'll be able to uh, <laughs> talk to her. So I look forward to it. And also if you guys have noticed, we have a new wall, we have a new background We got rid of the other thing. We actually readjusted the studio so we'd be able to do this. Uh, If you'd like to decorate my wall, as you can see, I have some open spots here. If you'd like to be a sponsor on the program, you can send me stuff, and I'll put it on the wall behind me. I'm more than welcome to do that. And also, uh, coming up next week, we are talking about the history of Coca-Cola, and we're going to be doing some open line conversation. We're going to try something new. We haven't done open line in the new format uh, since we've done it. And uh, we hope we can do that where we're streaming live online and you're actually able to listen to us or watch us and you can actually participate in the program. The number for that is uh, 724-505-1955. And we'll be doing that here in the near future, but we got to get all the bugs worked out. We got everything else working the way it's supposed to be, and we're also working really well on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV channel 77. And don't forget to stop by to uh, check us out at billalexander.com and also at italkradio.us. Anyway, folks, I am out of here. Thank you very much for joining me this evening, and we'll be back next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. I'm tired and I gotta go home I'm tired and I gotta go home My baby told me she's gonna set me free If I don't hurry back home so I better be on my way You know I cannot stay It'd be nice, you know, but I've got to go Yes, i got to go home I left my baby about three I know she's waiting for me
2: ready to launch a new career or not sure what to do after graduation Rumkey is hiring for cdl driving trainees we pay you to get your cdl license while working for us driver trainees receive eighteen dollars an hour great benefits and Rumkey will pay your cdl costs once you're a cdl driver you can earn one thousand to thirteen hundred dollars a week and more than ten thousand dollars in bonuses possible in your first year apply today and launch a lucrative career at Rumkey. apply now at RumkeyCareers.com. equal opportunity employer restrictions apply
0: in the Smoky Mountains, it's not just about getting away. It's about getting together to zoom across a zipline, splash down at water parks, shop till you drop, and say hello to the statue of our hometown hero, Dolly Parton. This year, discover the thrill of visiting the Smokies and reconnect with those you love the most in Sevierville, Tennessee. Learn more. Visit Sevierville.com. That's visit S-E-V-I-E-R-B-I-L-L-E.com. Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that? Even designer furniture. On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because designer looks furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com.